0: The Lord be with you. Let us pray. This is our first distribution hymn today. Now I have found consolation, comfort in my tribulation, balm to heal the troubled soul. God, my shield from every terror, cleanses me from sin and error, makes my wounded spirit whole. Amen. A couple of announcements. The Lay Theology Conference is coming up Saturday. So this coming Saturday from uh, eight to noon, approximately eight o'clock registration and, and coffee and a, and, a, and a morning prayer service. First lecture at nine. Uh, if you can't commit to the whole morning, why not? But also if you can't commit to the whole morning, uh, just come as you can, uh, pop in. There's gonna be three different, uh, three different um, sessions uh, at the top of every hour, I believe and then uh, we'll have lunch afterwards. So if you'd, like to, if, you, if you'd like to just pop in with your schedule, that's fine. Free childcare and a free lunch. Please just uh, register online for that so we know um, how much food and, and childcare is needed. And also, we're gonna, there's a handout so that we're gonna be doing multiple pages long, so um, let us know so we can be prepared if possible. If you didn't register, don't be the guy who says, well, I was gonna go, but I didn't register, so I'm not gonna go. Don't be that guy, just come. Uh, Today's Sanctity of Life Sunday, so it's the last Sunday for the collection in the Narthex. In the it's really not the last Sunday. Like, they'll take your free diapers whenever you want to give them. But as far as the convenience of us hauling them over there, um, you can drop off stuff up to this afternoon, uh, I believe. And there's also a door offering t- to, go to, um, to go to Caring Network that's, uh, that'll be taken back for the services. Two weeks from today, Church Family Sunday, as uh, we start. The, so Transfiguration, last Sunday before Lent. and We have the butterflies with the kids and all that. And so we'll have one service at 9.30 on February 11th. So still two weeks away, we'll remind you. And last uh, Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, if you're looking for excuse to get Little Pops, which I always am, Little Pops Pizza here in Naperville is doing a fundraiser for the school. Uh, the one down on Whirly Road. Go to Little Pops on Wednesday. Tell them you're, with, you're doing the Bethany thing and, and all the, or a certain percentage of the proceeds goes to, to Bethany. Or don't get the pizza. Go to Costco, it's cheaper, and give us all of your money. It's win-win for Bethany. <laughs> And also for you, pizza both ways. Yes. Uh, I was going to ask that. Just the old Little Pops. The original. The OG Little Pops. It's Whirly Road on the, from here. It was southeast of here. If you haven't had Little Pops, I, 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 I think it's great. It's good, uh, good pizza. All right. Speaking of good pizza, the crucifixion. <laughs> well, how do you transition from that? I mean, honestly. <laughs> Um, Beth, can you turn down the wireless headset like a click? I feel like I'm directly into the, I am directly into the speakers. So we're going to, thank you. We're going to, we're going to, perfect. We're going to get a running start into the crucifixion today and probably immediately step into the weeds as is, as is the way of things. But I think um, there's a lot of different topics we'll be able to discuss here as we get into the crucifixion. So turn a little bit up, up a little bit, up, turn, move to the left, right, back to the right, right there, right there, that's good, good, all right. (laughs) Uh, Let's see, verse 18, so chapter 23 of Luke, beginning with verse 18, kind of where we left off last time, Uh, they all cried out together, away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. And that's the first, the first like, insertion of the crucifixion as far as this being an option on the table. Prior to this point, like I don't think Pilate had a, had a sense that they were hoping to, to crucify him maybe just to beat him or arrest him or something, but this is all of a sudden crucifixion. And that's why he's like, responds in verse 22, why? Crucifixion? That's for the worst of the worst. This guy's one of you, he's Jewish like you guys. It's the Romans who are like on the, motivated by Roman ideology and Roman religion, Roman laws. They're the ones who are crucifying the Jews on, it's like their idea. So the Jews are coming to the Romans and saying, you should use your worst thing on this guy. It just Pilate himself, was like, what? what are you talking about? I have found in him no guilt. The third time, uh, Pilate says he's innocent. I will therefore punish and release him. But it wasn't good enough. Which, again, we we talk about this. Why would he just punish and release him um, if he was indeed innocent? Because frankly, he doesn't he doesn't really he doesn't care. Pilate's not a good guy. He doesn't care about the Jews, and and in fact. The Romans kind of hated the Jews. As you, you think, think like the, the worst like true racism, like a despisal of an entire people is seeing them as subhuman. So to be talking about them and wasting their time, wasting their cross on him. That's why later when the, the soldiers come and they offer Jesus sour wine, it's not that they're actually sympathetic. Like, you know what that guy needs right now? Some bad wine. They're like, let's have a toast to the king as he's dying there on the cross. Oh, oh, too bad. You can't move your hands, can you? That kind of, that kind of mockery with the wine. So they, they don't care about, about Jesus. Uh, and yet he's still trying to release them. They were urgent, verse 23, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demands, their demands should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown in prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked. But he deliver Jesus over to their will. So Pilate is ultimately responsible, so we confess it in the creed, crucified under Pontius Pilate. Um, now verse 26, which starts the crucifixion proper. Um, the, the first question in your handout, note how many times Pilate declared Jesus innocent. Why would he still allow Jesus to be crucified? I touched on that, he, just, he doesn't care, but, but also what, what are some other motivations that Pilate has for this? Yeah, keeping the, peace. keeping the peace, not for the sake of peace. One might argue, but for what? So they don't have to go and fight against the Jews. Yeah, or not even. So it's, it's almost like his own peace. His livelihood is tied to. Like it's nice. Like when you're like even in today's corporate world, like it's nice for like your boss's boss to come visit you and tell you what a great job you're doing. But it's also really nice if your boss's boss just leaves you alone because when he comes to town, he can also, you know, eliminate your entire division or fire you or whatever. So it's nice for Pilate to just keep, you know, let's keep the emperor out of Jerusalem. He can just, you know, does his own thing. But if he comes in, I've I've seen the emperor step in and just randomly crucify people or behead them. So he's not, you get the idea of like in, Roman, in the Roman system, it's not like you just, just appeal to the Supreme Court. It's like when the emperor says, you know what we should do? Crucify this guy. It's over. So when a guy who has that kind of power above you, you kind of don't want him around. So he's trying to keep him at bay. So are you going to say something similar, Harvey? Uh, also, they could report him to. Yeah, and that's in fact what they were threatening to do. that They were threatening, they were threatening to report him to Rome. Well, hey, we have no king but Caesar. Pilate, if you're not going to crucify this guy for saying he's a king, we'll just go tell your boss's boss that he's tolerating someone else saying that there's a better king than him. And he's like... So he's ultimately looking out for, looking out for himself and his own career. And, um, and there we can, re- we can reflect upon... Um, those times, perhaps in our life, where we're tempted to do, this, to do the same, um, having having the temptation to better ourselves and our career would have us um, denying Jesus or um, not not confessing Jesus as we should, but rather looking out for ourselves, our own best interest, to better ourselves. Um, the, the easy, the low hanging fruit there is um, you can. Unless you work for Chick Fil A, it's pretty. You can work, You can make a few extra bucks on Sunday. Time and a half. At least I don't know if they still do time and a half. Is that just normal now? Um, but to to make to make some extra money or to better yourself or or we and we see this often with with the youth when the parents um, say. You know, they, they can't make it to church this weekend, Pastor. I mean, I'm not talking youth group; I'm talking church. They can't come to church this weekend because they got they studying for the SAT. You're, and with that, you're teaching your kids what's more, what's most important. Because there's plenty of like national merit semifinalist, whatever, who are pagans. It's nice to have your kid not be a national merit scholar when he's in heaven. I'd rather have the latter. It's nice to have both, I suppose. <laughs> um, but you just want to think about our priorities and what we're teaching our kids and, and in all, in all that none of, you sh- none, none of you can escape that accusation like unscathed by the way all of us are condemned by the law that says we often put ourselves and our own careers and our own, our own satisfaction over Jesus and that's where we see our sin and it hits us all in different ways um, but there again that's why Jesus is doing the very thing that he's doing right now. get it, Going to the cross because of our inability to do anything perfectly. So they led him away, verse 26. So they, they now who's, who led, who's they? Remember, there's got the crowd. I mean, think this pandemonium. The crowds are there, crucify, crucify. There's the Roman soldiers. They're there on behalf of Pontius Pilate. Who leads him away? So is it the Jews who then now that now Rome's granted it the, the Jewish guys just kind of grab a hold of Jesus and lead him out or it's it maybe together it doesn't specify but you get a sense that the Jews have a have a hand in this at least the leadership of the, the temple um, the murder of Jesus is certainly regardless of who drags him to the cross Israel is to blame because they're the ones who are making the big accusation there to Rome right They lead him away and this leading him away is an interesting thing. So there's a, a guy, I mentioned him last week, Alfred Edersheim, that wrote The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. It's really cool, in-depth uh, look at a lot of these things that, are, that would have been happening historically. So it was common, to, so the crucifixion was not just, but you could even say it was not, the primary purpose was not just to kill the guy because they could have done that easily in some back room. Right, just poison the guy's coffee when he's not whatever. But they needed this to be very, very public. Why? Setting or setting an example, right? Um, which was, some might argue is part of the downfall of our, our current legal system. Now, the punishments for certain crimes aren't bad enough to discourage future actions. But that's certainly the intent for for Rome. So they would take this scourged Jesus. And, and he was led to the, the place of the skull, to Golgotha, but they took, they would have taken, according to these commentaries, they would have taken the longest route possible. They weren't like taking the shortcut, but they're literally parading him around the city and in front of this, in front of this parade of a guy dragging his own, I mean, just imagine, that we would, just, we would, we would uh, rule this to be like psychotic. So you're going to, you're going to the hangman, you gotta carry your noose you're going to death row, you got to carry your, your syringe. You, get, you carry it with you. And so Jesus is having to carry his cross. And in front of them, they would have written the inscription, Jesus, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, King of the Jews. Um, and di- the different, ultimately the, the gospels say it a little bit differently, but the idea is certainly there. Jesus, Christ, King of the Jews in three different languages. And we'll talk about that in a second. But so somebody's carrying that in front of the parade. So if it said murder, insurrectionist, whatever the thing is, you're, you're there you're watching your dishes in your sink, you look out, and here comes the parade and this guy's getting crucified. What did he do this time? Or what did this guy do? Insurrection, okay, note to self, don't do insurrection stuff, right? In this case, it's kind of bizarre. King of the Jews, and there you have the, you're thinking, all right, so I've seen people be crucified for murder, maybe major acts of theft or whatever, whatever Rome is trying to, you know, discourage. And here's a guy, the King of the Jews, uh, I guess, I guess that's, I guess that's bad. I mean, it's a confusing kind of a thing happening. And so they're leading that placard, would have then been the thing nailed over the cross. They take his name tag and they put it on his cross. On this, and they're walking through the town. And then Jesus, who has been, he's, remember, think back to, not not long ago, chronologically for Jesus, but many verses ago, when Jesus had been arrested, the last, the last thing, this is going to come up continually here, um, Jesus has not had anything to eat or drink since the Last Supper. Then he goes into the garden, where he's sweating so much with such great stress that he's sweating blood. So he's already kind of parched, right? And then he's being beaten uh, and he's having to stand on trial, he hasn't slept, so he's physically exhausted, he's dehydrated. Uh, and and now he's been scourged, so he's bleeding profusely. He would he would have died. Most people actually died according to the commentaries after a scourging of, of the kind that Jesus received. Because it would have just ripped, just left him totally mangled. Think of the infection. It's not like they had the, the the they were sanitizing the leather straps with the with the nails and glass between every scourging, right? So we get people are certainly dying from this. And so here's Jesus, unable to carry his own cross. They seize one Simon of Cyrene, or Cyrene, depending on uh, how you render the translation there. Cyrene would have been modern Libya, on the, just on the west side of Egypt, who was coming in from the country, who has come in to uh, Israel for the Passover. And they laid on Jesus the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And laid on him the cross. We're going to pause on that for a moment. Um, one, we, we are, there's, a, there's a lot of overlap. that the, the historians and the church fathers make a lot of connection between Simon of Cyrene and us as the Christian. Who are kind of like on the sidelines. You go from being on the sidelines of Christianity, hearing the gospel. To then being all of a sudden along with Jesus. Take up my cross and follow me to his disciples. So now it's not. I'm not an outward, um, objective observer that's just hearing the gospels, but in hearing the gospels and being brought to faith, I'm actually then brought into the story. So now my life is given to be one of service to our Lord and also with that includes um, being persecuted for the gospel at times, taking up my cross and following Jesus. But what kind of cross they put on his back? Let's pause there and look at my handout. i getting ahead of myself. Uh, letter B there at the top. Crucifixion is so horrific of a death that it is illegal to give it to a Roman citizen. Why was it necessary for Jesus to die on a cross from a prophetic perspective? So we can say why is it, we know why it's necessary according to what was happening in the immediate events. They're calling for crucifixion, Pilate's trying to make him happy, but even as we're looking at the scriptures, the cross, it's easy for us to see this in hindsight. But now looking at the scripture, yeah, Rich, he's got to be lifted up, and we got these other the pictures from like Psalm 22, Isaiah 52 and 53. We have these things that are maybe certainly harder to predict how he was going to die. Looking if, from only the Old Testament perspective, but looking back from the from the Gospel, you're able to see how oh, this lines up perfectly. His his crucifixion, this this being the mechanism of his death. Any other thoughts there? Yeah. There's also the idea there Moses raising the in the blood. Yeah, that's, that's what, exactly what Richard's saying. Yeah, as, as, just as Moses lift, lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so too must he be lifted up. Um, which, I mean, that could have, that could have um, indicated another way of dying. We, and we know that from, remember Joseph, when he's arrested and he's in prison with the two guys and they're like, the first guy said, had a dream, and Joseph says, you're going to be freed, and things are going to go great for you. And the other guy in prison's like, he's giving great news. I'll ask him too. What's going to happen to me? And he says, your head will be lifted from you. Oh, and I got, don't ask Joseph for advice or <laughs> on interpreting your dreams. But this idea of it could have maybe led to behead, beheading maybe for some, lifted up. What do you mean li- lifted up in what sense? But this definitely is... Um, is fulfilling, fulfilling that prophecy. Now, the speculation on letter C, um, since this kind of death is the most horrific death imaginable, perhaps God chose this means of death to give a small glimpse into the infinitely greater suffering of the wrath of God, which he was undergoing simultaneously. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, Luther makes this um, presumption so when we, if you didn't, I crammed a lot of ideas into one sentence there, but the idea would be when Jesus' is, Jesus's death on the cross is not the main thing, it is to be sure important, but there were other guys dying on crosses. So it wasn't just death on the cross and it wasn't just that he was innocent because there are, there are likely innocent victims of crucifixion, just there are people who are wrongly accused even today. Um, The big thing wasn't just his physical death, but his suffering the wrath of God on the cross. So when the sky goes dark for those three hours and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have God forsaking Jesus, God the Father turning his back on Jesus and, and separating from him, which is hell. That's the picture of hell. And we associate it, like the, when the scriptures try to give us a picture that we can associate with, because if I say, what would you rather have? Being forsaken by God, or being burned alive, but not ever dying, just burning eternally. Which sounds better for you? You're like, well, f- forsaken by God. Because we, like, we don't associate that idea with physical pain, you see? So I think when the scriptures, at least some of the commentators say, when the scriptures give us these, these things like where the fire is not uh, put out and the worm is not quenched, these things of severe pain that we associate with eternal suffering, it's because we can't even comprehend the greatness of the wrath of God and being forsaken by God, apart from physical pain categories. And so whenever we're trying to picture what is it like to suffer the wrath of God, Well, the worst possible thing imaginable, especially at the time, would be a a death by crucifixion. And so this is the possible reason why God allowed this way. And then all the prophecies, Jesus wasn't dying this way to fulfill prophecies, but the other way around. Remember the prophecies were just saying what Jesus is ultimately gonna do. But um, Jesus wasn't going through motions. He wasn't jumping through hoops to check boxes for prophets. Does that make sense? It's, it's speculation, the scriptures don't say that, but, I, but it, I thought it was an interesting perspective on, and it's good to be reminded when Jesus is dying on the cross, it is, it is his being forsaken that is the, the ultimate, the ultimate uh, price that he's paying on our behalf. He, he's suffering death eternally um, for us, or the, the eternal death that we deserve. He's suffering it on the cross and we can't, we don't see that happening, but we see a crucifixion, which is still pretty bad. And that's why, perhaps, God chose crucifixion there. Um, and then below that, uh, letter A. So they've we, so laid the cross on Simon of Cyrene um, to carry it behind Jesus. Have you ever seen different styles or shapes of a cross, and why might the T-shape be the most commonly used one? Um, so there on the, the picture there in your handout is the, um, the cross at Concordia, in uh, the chapel at Concordia, Nebraska, or at St. John's in, across the street from Concordia, Nebraska, in Seward, um, you'll see there's different kinds of crosses out there. Obviously the most common is the T, the, the, t, the lowercase t cross. And um, <laughs> in case you don't know what a cross is, <laughs> that idea, um, but this is, it, it's interesting. This, this is speculation there's different historical pictures of what it could have been, and there's actual, like they've got certain evidence that it, that it could have been just this, and others have this X, where the hands would have been like attached here, and the legs here, um, and there's different examples of those that they found, but they're, they're, most of history seems to say it's likely that this was the kind, th- these were all in existence, this seems to be the kind that Jesus was crucified with because, I think I've got it, um, oh, I'll just say why, why might the T-shape be the most commonly used one? Because the, the label was ad, uh, adhered over his head. And it's hard to put anything over his head on this one and this one. Now granted, his hands would have been here and his body would have been sagging. So his head would have been here. You could have put a plaque there. Either way, it's this that he was carrying. Right, And it's just hard to figure out how that would have been. Maybe this thing? I don't, I don't, know, I don't know how that would have worked. The, the, the commentators kind of rule that one out and say it's, it's one of these. And there would have been the, the vertical pole would have either been stationary, like the way our mailboxes are like concrete in the ground until the snow guy comes and knocks it down every winter. Um, or uh, they would have like left them on, like in the Passion of the Christ, they were actually, their hole was there and they would lay it down to then adhere the person to the cross and then put him back up again. Now, there's, it's fascinating reading some of these commentaries and why they speculate the way that they do. But even the, in, the, in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, Jesus is, is, he's like, he's a good, his feet are a solid like five feet off the ground. And there's reasons for, for that. They're, they're trying to give him stuff on a stick. Um, they're looking up to him, but, but lifted up could also be like if any of you try to pick me up, like you'd be an inch maybe. <laughs> um, some say maybe he was only two feet off the ground, which then makes it why he was, he was reachable. Was, he's, he's easier to mock and to even spit on his face because he's not that far. His feet are, because you don't have to be anything, just like an inch of water can, kill, can drown a person. You don't have to be multiple feet off the ground to be crucified, right? The idea is that you're just only, your feet aren't touching the, the ground. You're, you're trying to support your weight with the nail, pushing off the nails. Um, what else do I else don't wanna say there. So have, you, have you, any of you ever seen the, the, T, the uh, uppercase T crosses before? Or how about the X? I think it's called St. Andrew's cross. One of the, one of the disciples was. St. Andrew, that yeah. That's why it's, I think that's why it's called St. Andrew, St. Andrew's cross. This is by far the, the most common that we see. diagonal cut in it, you just lay the bar on that. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Oh yeah, the reason why I brought up the two feet thing is when you think about, first of all, it's kind of, it's weird to try to think through, if I was crucifying someone, how would I do it? Like, think about that. But the guys who are on the committee with their little step stools, how, what's easier? Like, if trying to like, he's so he's been, his, his arms have been nailed to these to this vertical horizontal post and you're trying to adhere it while he's on it that's kind of hard it does make more sense that it seems like it might be easier to lay this whole thing on the ground and crucify uh, nail him to the cross there like like in the passion of the christ you can pull his arms out of socket easier and then as a group stand the whole thing up it's harder to try to push a guy up there who's probably resisting you'd think yeah rich Aren't these like billboards for the Romans, they want them up high, so everybody just see them. exactly. Guess. But they're built, they don't need to be up high because they're not driving by at 60 miles an hour, they're walking past it. So, they're, they're so it would, they would have been like right off the road. And this is going to come up, um, later in one of my questions that we'll get to in three or four months. When Jesus walks by, like in 70 AD, which is where. Jesus is about to allude to this great thing, that this great pain that's coming to Jerusalem. He's talking about the overthrow of Rome. And the church historians like Josephus and others write about how the streets of Rome were lined with crucifixes. Like, when we think, it's just these three guys on the cross, like, this would have been a, just, a, you're walking into Jerusalem, and like every foot, there's another person screaming out in horror, right along the walk. But it's on the walk, it's right... It's right close by. And in fact, one might argue that the closer the better. You're only gonna walk on this trail here. You don't have to be up too high. If this guy's really close and screaming, that's painful, you know? But great, yeah, great point. Definitely, it's a, definitely a billboard for Rome, a disincentive for people who are coming into the city to not do anything naughty. All right, um, so then Jesus says, verse 27, and there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. So so it's two different groups of reference here. A, a great multitude of people, which is perhaps those who were yelling at Jesus earlier. Um, some speculate, because they're going to come up later, they're going to make fun of Jesus on the cross. Like, he saved others, why can't he save himself? Some would argue that it was the, high, it was the Sanhedrin and the, and the workers in the temple who... When, when, when Pilate, it's not like Pilate has the inscription. I think John talks about the inscription like later once Jesus is on the cross, but the inscription historically, the way it was done, it, w- it would have been like put on the board like earlier before, like to, to lead the parade, remember? So, but the guys, the Sanhedrin, the, the chief priests are all standing there when, when Pilate said what to write on the, on the board. And the guy's like, wait a second, don't say that it says he's the king of Jews, say that he says he's the king of the Jews, because if, he, if people think he's the actual king of the Jews, they're gonna think he's the Messiah, and there's gonna be a rebellion. And so we better go along with Jesus and make fun of him the whole time. Can you believe, uh, some king of the Jews, he turned out to be, just look at him, is he saving himself? He can't, save saved others, he can't save himself. So that's why they're, they stay, the whole crowd kind of goes with Jesus to keep discrediting his title along the way, all the way up to the cross. Um, but then also there was this, these women who were following and mourning and lamenting for him. And then Jesus, this is bizarre thing. He's, so he's, Simon's carrying the cross, Jesus is, is right behind the sign leading the parade and he stops and he turns to the women. And he does this, remember back in, when he heals like blind Bartimaeus, when he hears the blind guys on the side of the road, like he's, he'll be walking in a parade and he'll hear something and he just stops and turns and engages. And it's helpful to think about the way Jesus hears our prayer in a similar way, by the way, like he's, he's not too busy for you. He hears your prayer. He might not be answering it in the way that you kind of prefer that he might, but he knows what he's doing and he hears you. So he turns to them. Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. So later he, so he refuses their pity here, just as later he's going to refuse the, the, the um, wine mixed with myrrh. Now, so why, well, I don't need to get into that. So it's, it's speculated that he says, well, my, I put it as a question. Why do you think Jesus refuses the pity of the onlooking women? Why does he say, don't weep for me? It's kind of a weird, weird thing. Yeah, you know. So he, he definitely, there is that sense of like, you're going to have it so much, you're going to have it pretty bad yourself, so really you're to be pitied. Um, in addition to that point, some of the, the, one of the commentators was saying how in, in the same way that Jesus... Jesus doesn't take the, the wine mixed with myrrh. Remember when they offer him that? I don't think it's in Luke's account. Um, they offer him the wine mixed with myrrh, which is considered by some historians to be a, like a, what's it called, like a nar- not a narcotic, but a pain, a, a pain, what's the word, not sedative. That's the word I'm looking for. A what? Just a painkiller, yeah. So it was considered by some, so he's trying to numb the pain, right? And that totally makes sense. But Jesus is not trying to numb the pain. He's not doing, he's not, remember Jesus, from the beginning we talked about this, he is allowing this entire thing to occur. He's not doing it so that he can make it easier on himself. He's doing it to pay a price. And he's, so he's not, he's refusing the pain killing medicine. And here he's, he doesn't need your pity. Because this is happening on my own accord. Right? But, since you bring up pity, you're to be pitied. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. That's bizarre. Blessed are the barren. So usually, in, like in the Old Testament, it's, to be barren is to be considered like almost a, a shame. Remember like um, uh, Sarah and... Um, Oh, Mary wasn't that way, but um, Aunt Aunt Hannah? Who's, is Elizabeth, Mary's cousin? Um, So all these cases where the person is is barren um, and they're considered to be like the shame or almost cursed. No, it's not the case that that to be barren is to be cursed, but that is the perception from the Jewish mind, at least. Um, And Jesus flips it here. Blessed are the barren, because it's going to be so bad. It's especially like you can run faster, frankly, when you're not trying to carry a baby or if you're not pregnant. So it's, it's the, the women and children are to be protected because they're those least able to protect themselves. They're the ones who ultimately get it worse. And that's why there's, that's why they're the ones in, in the safety boats off the Titanic. They're, they're, that's why they're the ones who are put in the fortress and, and protected. And there's the ones when, when Rome comes in, they can't really run off into the mountains as easily as a 20-year-old guy. So he has pity for the innocent in their suffering. So they're gonna be suffering in the near future. So even as Jesus is about to undergo significant trial for himself, he sees their future suffering and takes pity on them. Just, so, just likewise, he sees us in our, in our trials and he knows them well He's headed to the cross with their future. So their future suffering really isn't that much different from your, your suffering. It's still future in the chronological sense from, from that moment for Jesus. So as Jesus is going to the cross, he has the immediate future suffering of the women there who are crying out. Also, 2,000 years later, whatever it is you, you're going through and what you might be going through tomorrow, it's in his mind. As he, as he undergoes suffering, as he heads to the cross. Uh, then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills cover us. That is, de- de- desiring a quick, a quick death. If the, only the mountains would crush us, we'd die quickly. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? That is an enigmatic saying of Jesus and the, and the most, so commentators kinda of take it three different ways, but the general sense is if, if Rome is doing this cross, allowing this cross event to an innocent person who they have called innocent, how much worse is it gonna be when Jerusalem is actually guilty of rebellion? So that's this right now. This green, this green stick isn't burning very easily. But man, have you ever, have you ever seen a Christmas tree light on fire after like a week after Christmas? No, is that a thing? <laughs> it, in Mississippi, on Epiphany. See, we do it wrong here because there's like diff- there's laws here in Illinois, but in Mississippi, it's every man for himself. And. uh on, on Epiphany, um, it, January 6th every year, you bring your Christmas tree to church, and along the way, everybody's got a pickup truck because of Mississippi, you pick up everybody's tree off the side of the street and you throw it in the back, you go to church, and you throw this huge pile in the parking lot or just outside the parking lot, and you light it on fire. It looks like a bomb. Went <laughs> and you're singing Christmas carols for the last time. To is, But you don't have to like add like, any kind of starter fuel to the fire, you just you get a candle close to it, and it's or Christmas vacation. Think that scene with the cat. Is that where you're going? I want to know when we can start doing this. <laughs> the pyromaniacs unite, if Mar- Bethany. If Mar- if Marmion can have that giant fire for homecoming. We can burn. Well, is, the, the, a key difference between here in Mississippi is about 70 degrees on January 6th. So being outside for a prolonged period of times isn't isn't so great. Anyway. Um, so, so dry, dry wood burns quickly and, and more fiercely than green wood. That's the idea. If God, if God also, the, another view was if God hasn't spared his own son, how much worse is it going to be his judgment upon unbelievers? Um, and then the other one was had to do at the end times like this, as far as time, green, green would be young, dry is old. So this is God's judgment. Now, how much worse the final judgment um, on, on the unbelieving world. So those are three different perspectives on that. Ultimately, having to do with a future, how much worse is future suffering? Jesus has that in mind as he's going to the cross um, to suffer. Now, Years later, at the siege of Jerusalem, hundreds of crosses would fill the city. I mean, the, the historians say daily, hundreds of crosses. When, when Rome sieges Jerusalem, takes them over and everyone who wasn't able to flee to the mountains and and get away. There's hundreds of crucifixions happening that historians say, there wasn't enough wood um, to actually do the crucifixions. So then the soldiers would start getting creative with ways that they could crucify people and just leave that to your imagination whatever that might mean. Now, what was so that's that's what that's what's going on? If you're reading Luke in the first century or hearing it read, you've got in, in your mind this this uh, these murders that are actually happening by Rome at the in this time period, or they did happen ten years ago or fifteen twenty years ago, right? So you're connected to this event, and there's no in your mind. A crucifixion, you're, you're associating a death by crucifixion with the worst possible torture and violence and evil. Isn't it interesting that, that we hold that up in front of our churches and we wear them on our necks and adorn our homes? Jesus has taken this thing and flipped it, right? So what was once the sign of terror is now for us a sign of the Lord's love and, and our eternal peace. So I've got some, a, a number of questions on here regarding uh, crucifixion, crucifixes. Let me get, let me flip, well, let's finish this passage. So verse 31. Uh, for if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? And then two others who are criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. So we get these, now we're starting to get the conversation with the two guys. Um, the, the word for criminal there is criminal. Is, uh, Caco orgas, so orge, work, orge, kaka, bad. So do-batters is the word there. They were do-batters. They were led away to be put to death with Jesus. So that's Isaiah 53. He was numbered with the transgressors, right? And these two criminals on his side are actually gonna be a picture of us and all, all of humanity. We're not gonna have to, we'll talk about it next week, but um, we are all condemned to death, are we not? And we're all, as we approach death, we're we're either those we're either the thief who cries out to Jesus, "Remember me," or the one who stands there and mocks Jesus. Right. So all really all of humanity is summarized there on the cross, or next to Jesus on the cross. But um, let's pause there with, with verse at verse thirty one before we get to these two other criminals, and we're going to talk about the crucifixion more. But just a word about crosses um, on your back to your handout. Let's see, verse C, in about 50, or letter C. um, In about 50 years, Jerusalem will be destroyed. The city will be filled with hundreds of crosses daily. The idea of crucifixion brought horror to Jews, and now what was once the most horrific sign of torture is for us the most wonderful sign of peace and love. So how is the generic symbol of the cross understood today? And how is a crucifix subject to a less subjective interpretation? Um, just to think about in your experience, the, the impact or what, it, what is said by a cross and even what is perceived by a cross to a non-Christian. Maybe that's a better way to think about it. Um, is a crucifix, that is a, a cross with a dead body on it, is a crucifix more offensive? Certainly. It, it's not left up to subjective interpretation. Now, uh, when you see a cross, and I use this example, I, I, I told you this story, I know, countless times, but the, um, this, this is, I Googled it and quickly found this, this little box there. Um, Alex and Ani makes these bracelets that Mandy likes, and they're like, you can buy these symbols that represent different things, they're cute, whatever. It's an easy Mother's Day anniversary every year. You just buy a bracelet, it's easy. Uh, but they had a cross. And I'm asking the lady, "Hey, so what does a cross mean?" And she points to the billboard behind her that says, "Like what all the symbols represent." And this is what the cross represents: the cross symbolizes life, immortality, and the union of heaven and earth. It possesses spiritual power, embodying sacrifice, triumph, and salvation. When you carry the cross, infinite love surrounds you. Honor, uh, honor your personal beliefs. The last sentence is telling. Now, you and I can relate to most of what's said in that paragraph, can't we? It's vague enough to be, yes, I recognize all those words. I'll pull them in and and redefine this cross to be what I think it is. But there's nothing on there about Jesus dying on the cross for sinners, the the primary purpose of the cross, right? So it's just these general, generic, disembodied themes of, of immortality and life, even heaven and earth, so an afterlife, something about afterlife. So um, if you're, uh, and, and again, one of my friends in, in college had a tattoo on his back. And uh, Dominic Witherspoon, uh, we call him Spoon. And I said, Dominic, what's that cross all about on your back? He said, I don't know, I just thought it looked cool. So what, But what, like what, why? Well, why would you get that? Like why, what is that teaching you? What is, what is the, couldn't tell me. It looked it looked cool. It's subjective, so the the history of Christianity in part embraces crucifixes. Not to say that. Jesus didn't say to do any of these, any of these things, but the, the rationale for why we have a processional cross with a body on it is it's not up to subjective interpretation. It removes, the, it removes any confusion of that this is like, we're here to, to really talk about the general idea of self-sacrifice or the general idea of heaven. But no, we're, we're confessing Jesus, Christ crucified, as Paul said, we preach Christ crucified. Historical guy on a cross dying. And and it, it, it emphasizes the insanity. I mean, just the, the insanity of it. It's, it's almost like if we, if if what if Jesus had died by hanging, then instead of crucifixes, we'd all have little gallows on our necks, and that would be. We, it's a processional gallow. and so there's a. So we walk in, and, it's, and and there's like a mini noose and a Jesus kind of hanging. And, it's, mock, and I'm not mocking these, but the idea of brutal cr- death. And that's the symbol of our faith. But it's, but it's, it's because this actual, thing, this actual thing happened. Jesus was actually born into this world and actually died. It's not up to subjective definition of what you think it might mean. And so that's why a lot of times, you don't, do not, please, please do never, never be offended by a crucifix. I'm, not, I'm also not saying you can't have as many crosses as you want. As soon as you're, if you're a pastor, if you're like a, when I was at seminary, Anytime I had a birthday or Christmas, everybody under the sun has given me a cross. I'm like, thank you, another cross, great, happy birthday. So if you walk into my office, you see like I have a wall of crosses behind the door. You run out of place. how many crosses does one need? You run out of doors to put, uh, but so it's fine. The idea, and they're all, they're all beautiful and they all have, they certainly have meaning, but at least our use of the crucifix is because it, it cuts to very quickly cuts to what we're confessing. It's not any vague ideas, but it's, it's Jesus on the cross, which on the back of your handout there, um, it's, it's tied into our logo, Bethany's logo. It's got the crucifix in the center of it to remove any doubt of, of generic or, or uh, vague interpretations, but rather it's Jesus on the cross. He's on a processional cross um, that's centered to our worship as well. But then this raises a very important question. How can Christians use a crucifix in their personal decor or even worship when Jesus is no longer on the cross? And yet we're holding that in check with, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So you have people say, I don't believe we should be using crucifixes because I believe Jesus rose from the dead. He's no longer, he's no longer on the cross. Why would you leave Jesus on the cross? Um, I heard the president Al Mohler of, of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary say this the exact same thing like last week um, about crucifixes. So we don't we don't have time, so we're gonna we're gonna pick up here next next week. But that's bring your questions regarding the use of crucifixes, also how we understand graven images. So you ever heard this phrase? We shouldn't have graven images. It comes roughly from the first commandment. So. Um, That's what we'll be talking about at length next week. And also, I'll probably start off with a a sum up of the lay theology conference as well. So that's what we have to look forward to. Any final questions or comments there? Very good. The Lord be with you.